0: I don't think I've ever received more text about a podcast than I have about the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Like, everybody's texts me, are you listening to this? Yeah, I'm listening. Like, you're listening. We're all listening to this podcast, I think, because it's such an important conversation for the church in America right now. That's why it's called our attention. I think, I think we're going to have to start a Mars Hill support group in our church, like, uh, with all the things that we're processing if you don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill is a podcast from Christianity Today that is about the inside story of Mars Hill Church in Seattle and its pastor, Mark Driscoll. As the host, Mike Cosper, says in the intro of each episode, he said, it, it's the story of one church that grew from a handful of people to a movement and then collapsed almost overnight. It's a story about power, fame, and spiritual trauma, problems faced across the spectrum of churches in America today. If that hooks you, you should go listen. I highly commend it to you, and, and come talk. We'll Come get coffee. We'll, we'll process it together. Well, friends, today's sermon is about the rise and fall of Haman. Haman is the antagonist in the book of Esther, which we've been studying for most of the summer. He is the second most powerful man in, in the whole Persian Empire. He's the king's right-hand man, whom he trusts so much that he gave him his very signet ring uh, to act on his behalf as the king. And yet, as we've learned throughout the story, Haman is is an evil man. He's a man who uses his great power for evil purposes. And because he felt disrespected by a man named Mordecai, a Jewish man who works in the king's administration, simply because Mordecai refused to bow down to him, to show him the honor that Haman thinks he deserves, Haman tricked the king into ordering the mass genocide of all the Jewish people, throughout all the Persian Empire on one day, on a certain day, coming in a few months. That's where we are in the story. This edict of death was Haman's way to get back at Mordecai, but not just Mordecai, to all of his people, to destroy them, which, by the way, includes the king's wife, Queen Esther, though no one knows this because Esther has has kept her Jewish identity secret, and then in the previous chapters, Haman has another encounter with Mordecai. And once again, once again, Mordecai refuses to bow to him. And now Haman decides he can't wait for the purge. He's going to have Mordecai executed immediately. And so he, he builds these massive gallows near his home, upon which he plans to have Mordecai hanged the very next day. And that's where we are in the story. <laughs> Today, we're going to see what happens next. And I've already told you a little bit giving you a clue, is utterly surprising. And it's only possible because the hidden hand of God has been constantly working behind every scene. Though he is mentioned on none of the pages, he is present and he is at work. So if you will, the rise and fall of Haman is about one man who rose to great power and then collapsed literally overnight. It's a story about power and fame and the problem of evil. That is, whether evil will ultimately prevail, or whether God will intervene and prevail over it. Today's episode is The Hidden Hand of God and the Great Reversal. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? This is, we're focusing on Esther chapter 7, but we're going to read the tail end of 6 and a little bit into 8 to get the whole story. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuch arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went into the feast with Queen Esther, and on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said again to Esther, "'What is your wish, Queen Esther? Shall be granted you, and what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled.' Then, Esther, then Queen es- Esther answered, "'If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish, and my people for my request.' If we have been sold, I am my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe, and enemy, this wicked Ammon. Then Ammon was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed and begged for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs and attendants, uh, in attendance on the king said moreover the gallows that Haman had prepared for Mordecai whose words saved the king is standing at Haman's house 50 cubits high and the king said hang him on that so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai then the wrath of the king abated on that day king Ahasuerus gave to queen Esther the house of Haman the enemy of the Jews and Mordecai came before the king for Esther had told what he was to her And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Let me pray for the preaching of God's word. Our Father, we are so thankful that we have your holy word, that we get to gather to read it in safety. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to guess and figure out uh, or imagine uh, who you are or what you have done. Lord, you have recorded it. You've given it to us in sacred scripture. And moreover, you've given your Holy Spirit, which even now can open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see you for who you are. And so I pray that is what you will do right now, Holy Spirit. And I pray for myself, my speech and my message would not be implausible words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that our faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I ask us in the name of Christ. Amen be seated, please. I don't know about you, but sometimes I look around at uh, what's happening in the world at any given moment, and even what's happening in my own life, and I am, tempted, I am tempted to conclude that evil is winning. You ever feel like that? It feels like evil is winning sometimes. I felt like that even this week. With the images coming out of Afghanistan of citizens running after airplanes because they are so desperate to flee the evils of the Taliban. Or the stories that are coming out of Haiti of yet another devastating earthquake for a country that has already experienced such devastation in the last 10 years, even the recent assassination of their president. Or again, the recent surge of the Delta variant. That continues to prolong the COVID-19 pandemic that affects millions of people all over the world. And even people that you and I know and love. All right, that, that's just this week, right? That, that, that's all overwhelming. And sometimes it feels like evil is progressing, unhindered and unchecked. It feels like evil is winning. Well, brothers and sisters, up to this point in the book of Esther, it is felt like evil is winning. The king of Persia, named King Ahasuerus, a.k.a. Xerxes I, he has all the power to do whatever he wants. And he uses his power to subjugate all the young virgins of the kingdom into his harem. And no one could do anything about it. If you remember, that's how Esther became queen. Because first, she was taken from her home And she was placed in the harem of the king to compete for the king's bed and for the queen's crown. It's evil. And as we've already said, the king's number two, Haman, uses his great power to get the king to order an irrevocable decree. That is to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day. He sets in motion a mass genocide, and now he plans to murder Mordecai the very next day, and it seems that nobody can do anything about it. It feels like evil is winning. But friends, Esther chapter 7 is here to, to remind us what we need to so desperately. To remind you and me once again what is a profound theme in the book of Esther, which is that things are not always as they seem. God may feel very absent, when he is in fact present. God may feel very silent when he is in fact always working. It may seem that evil is winning, but God is keeping account of every single injustice and he will not fail to make all things right in the end. Friends, Esther 7 is here to remind you that evil will not and cannot ultimately win because God has promised that it won't and God always keeps his promises. So here we are, we've gathered in this room, carrying whatever pain or questions or doubts you have about the evil of the world, but we are here to remind each other what's true and what is true is that because God is who he is, we can be assured that evil will be revealed and evil will be reversed. Those are going to be our two points this morning. Because God is who he is, we can be assured that evil will be revealed and evil will be reversed. First of all, notice in this passage how evil is revealed. So Queen Esther has been convinced by Mordecai, her father figure, her cousin, that perhaps God has brought her into this position of becoming queen for such a time as this. That is, that she could use whatever privilege she has to try and save her people from this awful genocide, this uh, edict. But, friends, this is a very delicate matter, and it requires a very delicate approach. You don't just barge into the king's court and say, Hey, dummy, you signed your own wife's death warrant. Because you didn't even bother to ask which people you were about to destroy, and because you were so easily manipulated by Haman, he played you like a fiddle. You can't do that. Esther has to be cunning. She has to somehow reveal that she herself is a Jew, which she hasn't told him yet, and therefore under the death sentence. And she has to reveal that Haman is the mastermind behind this whole thing without revealing the king's own inadequacies that enabled this whole thing that would bring him public humiliation. He signed the edict. So Esther's approach is to throw parties, (laughs) to throw two dinner banquets for just she, the king, and Haman. In chapter seven is the second of these parties where the king asks her for the third time in three chapters, what is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. The suspense has been building. He knows Queen Esther wants to ask him for something, but she keeps delaying and just filling them with fine wine and food in the meantime, which is not a bad plan also. But now's the moment. The moment. Now is the time for the queen's speech. The king says, you can have any wish and any request. So the queen says, my wish is that you would spare my life. And my request is that you would spare the life of my people. Now you got to understand, both the king and Haman are utterly confused at this point. They're like, why is your life in danger? Why are your people in danger? Who are your people? Remember, they have no idea that Esther is Jewish. So Esther continues in verse 4, for we have been sold. I am my people. You gotta remember, Haman promised to fill the king's treasury with silver, equivalent to half a year's taxes from the whole empire in exchange for this edict. So they were literally sold for silver. They were sold to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. That's the exact language of the edict. Esther's trying to jogging, trying to jog his memory. Remember this thing that you signed? She says, If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. In other words, if we were just sold as slaves, I wouldn't even bother you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disturb the king. It wouldn't be worth your time. But because we are sold to certain death, it is worth your attention, O king, because it will affect you. Because I, too, am under that death sentence. Now, you got to know, if you were in that room in this moment, if you could see Haman's face, his eyes would be the, the, the size of saucers. Because just now he learned something that he previously did not know, that Esther is Jewish. And now he is the goon that got the king to unwittingly order the death of his own wife. He knows that all of this is about to be revealed. Esther's plan is genius. She works the king into a rage that someone would dare to harm the queen and all of her people before she reveals who it is. And then in verse five, the king, King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, who is he and where is he who has dared to do this? And Esther said, a foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Brothers and sisters, notice, for the first time, Esther is revealed for who she really is. She identifies herself with the people of God, no matter the cost. She risked her life to identify with God's people. And friends, there was a real risk. There was a real possibility that the king would say, hey, you've lied to me all these years. You never told me you were Jewish. I cannot help you now. What's done is done. But for the first time, Esther comes out. She reveals who she really is. And, brothers and sisters, for the first time, Haman is revealed for who he really is. A foe and an enemy, the wicked Human. The man whose lust for power and prestige, whose petty pride had led him to a monstrous evil. But now it's all out in the open for the king and everyone to see. The point is, brothers and sisters, in the words of the great Johnny Cash, you can run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God will cut you down because God is who he is because he made the world and because he has committed himself to redeeming the world and making all the sad things come untrue because God has bound himself to a people and he's made promises to them that means the evil can run on for a long time but sooner or later it will be revealed for what it is evil can hide for a while evil can persist for a while Evil can cause us great distress in this life, but brothers and sisters, it will not have the final word. Evil has an expiration date because God is committed to exposing it, to revealing it, either in this life or in the life to come, and making all things right again. That's who he is. Jesus says in Luke 18, verse 17, Luke 8, verse 17, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. Nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Friends, there is a reckoning coming for us all. And the question is on that day, what will be revealed about you? That like Esther, you identified yourself with the people of God, no matter the cost to yourself? Or that like Amon, you identified yourself with the pursuit of your own power, your own pride, your own possessions? no matter the cost to others. Now I know what you're probably thinking because I'm thinking it too. You're like, hold on, I'm not evil. (laughs) Like I've never orchestrated the mass genocide of a people. I'm not in the same camp as a character like Haman. How dare you? Friend, the Bible doesn't let us off the hook that easily. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter seven. Well, from within... Out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile the person. You say you and I may may not have plotted murder, but that same root of Haman's sin lives in your heart too. You heard the list. Evil thoughts. You ever wish something bad would happen to someone you can't stand that no one knows about? Envy. You ever sinfully desire the good life of your neighbor? Slander. Ever talk bad about somebody even if it wasn't exactly true? Pride. Ever comforted yourself by thinking, at least I'm better than that person? Because evil is in our hearts, too. And it's painful. It's painful to have these things revealed about ourselves, but, friends, it would be more painful if our God was content to let evil win. He can't let it win in you or in the world because he is a God of justice. I promise you, you don't want to have it any other way. Because God is who he is, we can be assured that evil will be revealed. But secondly that evil will be reversed. And this is really, 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 really important. Because actually, it's not enough to simply reveal evil. Like, something has to be done about it. And what is done about it also reveals a lot about who God is. So think about it. In this story, he could have simply stopped Haman's plot and just preserved the status quo. That would have been enough. But it's not enough for God. Because God is who he is, he is committed to a complete reversal of the evil, a complete reversal of destinies, a complete turning of the tables. Friends, notice this. Notice all the reversals that are in this one chapter. Think about it. Before, it was the Jewish people that had harm determined against them, and they were terrified before Haman. But in verse 6, it is now Haman who who sees that harm is determined against him, and now he is terrified before Esther. Reversal. This whole ordeal began because Mordecai refused to fall or bow down before Haman, but it ends in verse 8 with Haman falling down, bowing down before Esther. The most obvious one is Haman had these massive gallows built to have his, his enemy Mordecai hanged upon by order of the king, but in verse 10, it is Haman. the enemy enemy of the Jews who is hanged upon the very same gallows by order of the king. This is what the Psalms call digging a pit and then falling into it yourself. In chapter 8, verse 2, the reversal is complete when Mordecai is given Haman's position and property in the kingdom. The very signet ring is given to Mordecai and now he is the second most powerful man in all the Persian kingdom. You see, This is a sudden and dramatic reversal. A turn of events that completely reverses the expected outcome of the story. And brothers and sisters, this is the hope of the world. That God is committed to not just revealing evil, but also reversing it once and for all. And friends, it is your only hope of dealing with your own evil that resides in your heart that God would do something to reverse our death sentence because of our own sin and evil against him. Friends, the cross of Jesus Christ is the greatest reversal in the history of the world. It is there where Jesus, like the Jews in Esther, was sold to death for silver, for 30 pieces of silver to be exact. It is where Jesus, too, was hanged upon a tree that was meant for somebody else, That is for you and for me. The justice that should have fallen on us fell on him instead. Friends, Jesus took our destiny so that he could give his to us. We were actually given Jesus' position and property in the kingdom, his status as the well-beloved son or daughter, his inheritance of a new heavens and a new earth. And then, brothers and sisters, against all expectations, no one saw it coming. When evil thought it had won by killing the Son of God, Jesus rose from the dead in victory over evil and all of his friends. That is sin, death, and hell. This is the greatest reversal in the history of the world. Who would have thought that life could come out of death? And friends, I'm here to tell you today, if you have put your trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection on your behalf, then the great reversal has already happened for you. Everything that should have been yours is Christ. And everything that should be his is now yours. Righteousness, sanctification, redemption. That is wonderful news. And yet there's even more wonderful to come because Jesus will not stop until he reverses the evil of the whole creation. Until he wipes every tear from every eye until mourning and crying and pain and death are no more until he makes all things new what he has begun by reversing the evil in the hearts of his people he will one day finish for the entire creation in the broadway musical called hamilton you guys heard of this hamilton yeah no okay oh this is obscure little thing i'm in on it i'll let you know in the in the musical hamilton after the battle of yorktown which is the moment of reversal the decisive battle in the American Revolutionary War. The chorus sings the, these words. Tens of thousands of people flood the streets. There are screams and church bells ringing. As our fallen foes retreat, I hear the drinking song they're singing. The world turned upside down. You hear it in your head right now, don't you? The world turned upside down. Brothers, this is, this is the song that we will sing in the end. After the final battle, the world has been turned upside down. Because God is who He is, we can be assured that evil will be revealed and evil will be reversed, because God loves to turn things upside down. so that the first will be last and the last first. So that the proud will be brought down low and the humble, lifted up and exalted, so that the hungry will be filled with good things and the full sent away empty. Friends, evil may seem to be winning now, but it will lose in the end because the Lamb has overcome. And the Lamb says, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell shall prevail against it. Amen. Let me pray. ask God to help us. Father, we are weary with the evil of the world that we see all over the place, and yet we are overwhelmed that you, God, would step into our evil and take it upon yourself. Thank you, Jesus, for hanging upon a tree that was reserved for us. Lord, as we encounter the very evil that resides in our own hearts, I pray we would flee to you. We would accept the great reversal. Jesus' death and given us his life. And I pray you would fill us with an inexpressible hope that you are causing all the sad things to come untrue. Lord, our only hope is in you. Would you continue turning the world upside down? We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.